Well, welcome to Cape Bible Chapel. Uh, we're excited to be able to have you here this morning. Uh, we're delighted to be able to have our special speaker here, Dr. Nicholas Ellen. Uh, it is an incredible delight to have such a close friend to be able to come and minister to, uh, to our church and to be able to see what God is doing here. Uh, Nick comes, as you have heard him in uh, the Sunday school hour from the great nation of Texas, and he's very proud of that. Uh, and so I'm very thankful for that, uh, and I'm just thankful for him as a friend. Uh, Nick comes having a lot of credentials of just of being able to have influence in both the educational realm and in various counseling scenarios with traveling with ACBC uh, organization around the country. Uh, we have the opportunity to be colleagues together at the seminary and teach alongside one another, uh, and it's a delight to our soul. But most importantly uh, about him, beside the fact that he's such a close friend, is he loves being a pastor. He loves ministering the Word of God, and he loves his people, and he loves to shepherd in the way that God has called him to shepherd, and, and, he's, and, he, and he loves and enjoys being impacted and saturated with the things of the truth. And it's not just something he talks about. It's something that he is allowed to permeate his own soul so that he can change. And I think that comes out uh, in, in his speaking in ways that he leads us to the, to the word of God. And so delighted to have him here. Now, before he comes, uh, I want to read a text of scripture in Psalm 42. If you want to turn there with me, you're certainly happy to do so. Psalm 42, then I'll have a word of prayer. And then, Nick, you can come on up uh, and lead us into, into uh, to worship with the word of God as well. Psalm 42, the psalmist says this. He says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and the song of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you down, are cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, and, and from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep, and the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and waves have gone over me. And by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forsaken me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy, as with a deadly wound in my bones and my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Now catch this. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He deliberately intended to cause his soul to reflect on the truth so that he could have the hope that God had given to him that his soul was having a hard time reaching out and finding. That's us. We go to the word of God. This is why at Cape Bible Chapel, we are so enthralled with getting into God's word is because it is the place and source uh, of hope and joy for our soul. And so Nick is going to come and lead us in the teaching of God's word. Let me pray before we get there. Father, we want our souls to long for you. When our souls are downcast, when, our, when we're filled in our hearts with turmoil and anxiety, when we're filled with frustrations for disappointed components of expectations or whatever they may be, or it's just living in a life and in a world that is filled with sin. It is you, Lord, that makes everything make sense. It is you, Lord, that holds all things together. It is you who are all wise and infinite beyond anything we could ever imagine. 
And it is you, O Lord, that brings hope to our souls. And so like David, we ask, Lord, revive our hearts, satisfy our souls in the things of your word. Lord, thank you for bringing Dr. Ellen with us today to be able to lead us to the truth where we can find hope for, the, for our longing souls. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning to you all. Good morning. I'd like to call Josh my brother from another mother. That's my guy. Michelle is my sister from another mister. That's my girl. I'm excited to be here with you guys. It has been a privilege uh, to come over this weekend. I have discovered my place of retirement. I'm going home telling my wife, the Lord is leading us to Cape Girardeau. Did I say it right? Man, this is a nice spot. <laughs> I've had a great time here. Well, I want you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. We want to explore together this morning verses 10 to verses 14. I want to tell you a little story as we jump into this particular passage. Growing up, my mother was pregnant with me at 16 years old, and my father was... How many of you remember that song by those great theologians, The Temptations? Any of you? <laughs> Papa was a rolling stone. Well, that was my, the epitome of my, my father. And so my mother at 16, pregnant, she finished high school, and uh, we lived in Rome, Georgia. That's where I was born. She finished at Berry College and took me with her to school in Knoxville and got a master's there. And we stayed in Knoxville for a while, moved to Nashville. And then finally, her friend said, girl, there's money in Texas. So we ended up moving to Texas and been there for now over 44 years of my life. And one of the things that I realized as I came to Christ my last year of college, I realized that God had a reason for all those things. And it came to this one thing that I want to share that I thought was fascinating. In my last year of seminary, I was kind of getting ready to come back to Houston, trying to figure out where my life was going to go and what God was doing with it. And I get a call from my father. And it was the weirdest thing. He said, Nicholas, I know you don't know me, but this is Reuben. I'm your dad. Kind of like, Luke, I am your father. You remember that, right? <laughs> it was one of those moments, you know? And what was fascinating was he began to explain to me why he hadn't been around. He said, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I'm a drug addict. I'm a drug dealer. I'm a professional carn artist, and I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing. And since I know I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing, there are people that if they knew that you were alive to get back at me for all the dirt I've done, they would take you out. So you're just not going to ever see me. Now, how is that for a start of a conversation, right? So then he says, as I've been a professional car artist, I would like to teach you something. I'm saying to myself, I'm in seminary. <laughs> what? How am I going to use this skill that you want to teach me on the phone in the first conversation we've had in almost 20-something years? So, I mean, it's just of interest in me. I said, you know what? I'll bite. Talk to me. He said, son, as a professional car artist, I have conned people out of homes. I've conned people out of cars. I've conned people out of businesses. But every con has one simple formula to it. He said, a con game only works if people are needy or people are greedy. He says, if a person is needy, I can sell them a story, I can manipulate them, and I can get anything I want. If a person is greedy, I can take them for everything because they want to hear what I'm selling. He says, the only person that a con game will never work on is a content person. Now, I sat back and I thought, now this man knows nothing about the Bible, but he just explained James chapter 1. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Each man is carried away and he's enticed by his own lust. I could have paraphrased enticed by his own neediness or greediness. I mean, he just, he broke it down. And as I started to think about that over the years of my life and the decisions that I would make in different areas, I realized that every time I was easily manipulated, every time something took over, it was because I was needy or greedy, but never content. In the last few years of our life, my wife and I, as we have uh, worked with a small church that I planted a few years back, 
it has been a journey, and we've had to lose a lot, and we've had to grow a lot, and you know, we come, I always laugh, I say, I come to wonderful churches like this, and you know, hundreds of people, and then I go home to where I have to move chairs, and people are half sleep when I'm preaching. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's, you eat humble pie when you plant a church. But one of the, the processes that I realize is that God was trying to teach me something that I'm now starting to learn, that I can't say I got there yet, and that is contentment. And as I study Philippians, I want us to look at this together. Paul shows us a way and a process of contentment that I thought was just fascinating. And as I started reading this and looking at my life, God began to get a hold of my heart to the reality of is not how big the church or how small the church is. It's not the people, the places, and all of that. You, Nicholas, are never going to be happy because you are too needy and you're too greedy. You have not learned the practice of contentment. And you will learn because I am your God. And as I kept studying the scripture, I realized that's the reality. And I want to share with you a little bit of what God has exposed to me through the word of God. And as he's exposed this to me through scripture, I am learning what it means to be content and how to enjoy and endure and the things that it takes to move there. And I hope that you can learn some things from the word of God this morning about it. Because for many of you, you are needy and you are greedy. And you think that if your husband would finally just change, or if your wife would finally just change, if your children would finally just change, if your boss would finally recognize, if your professor, you tell me the scenario, you believe that one more scenario change is going to finally make you happy. And what you fail to realize is that God is on purpose trying to disrupt your life on earth so that you have a true desire for the things of heaven. God is trying to help you understand that real happiness will never come from the things that are temporal in your life. It'll only come from the things that are eternal. And the more you hold the temporal things loosely, the more you will be able to enjoy and endure, but find this thing called contentment. Now, as we study this passage on contentment, here's what I want you to understand about this. You can't pray this to happen. You can't study enough for this to happen. This is a process of development as you keep surrendering daily to the will and the ways of God. And it doesn't happen overnight. But over time, you'll begin to experience this thing called contentment. Now, with that in mind, turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to verses 14. Now, just to give you a little context, which I don't have to do much because I've just learned that you have gone through this book. So that makes it easier for me to just jump to where we want to get to. But one of the things that I want you to think about is Paul is in prison and he's sharing this from prison. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm in jail, the last thing I'm going to think about is, oh, great Cape Bible Church, you know. We praise God. I'd be like, hey, who has my bail money? Has anybody called the lawyer yet? I mean, my mind would be so there. But here's Paul in the midst of his suffering, concern about the lives of others. There's something in his heart that had to have changed in order for him to have that mindset. Walk with me in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to verses 14. He says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last... You have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned. You see the word learned? It's a process to be content. Now, let me stop with the word content. And let me give you, as you studied the Greek word for this content, a working definition for contentment today. As you look at your notes, you can see this or the PowerPoint behind you. Contentment can be defined as this. Sufficient satisfaction within the heart through fellowship with and the power of Jesus Christ apart from external circumstances and people. Let me read that again. Sufficient satisfaction within the heart through fellowship with and the power of Jesus Christ apart from external circumstances and people. And let me flip it another way for you. I'm satisfied in the soul and people and circumstances have nothing to do with it. I'm, I'm satisfied in the soul, and people and circumstances can't change it. 
I'm satisfied in the soul, and nothing bad or good is causing it because my satisfaction is coming from my fellowship with God. Whether people are nice or nasty that day makes no reference to the sufficient satisfaction of my soul. Whether I get a raise or get fired, I have a sufficient satisfaction of the soul because people and circumstances aren't determining or derailing this satisfaction. I don't know about you, but to be able to have that on a regular basis, do you know the freedom that gives you to love people, to love God, to live a life that transcends all understanding. This is what Paul said. Even though you had an opportunity before and didn't do it, but now you've done it, I am so glad. But you know what? If you hadn't, I'm okay because I've learned to be sufficiently satisfied in my soul apart from people and circumstances. Watch what he says, and we want to walk this through. He says, not that I speak from want, but I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Now, I want to walk this through and talk about the picture of contentment, but I just want to go back to this verse that I hear a whole lot that is so much out of context. That verse 13, I can do all things through, I mean, you hear people naming it and claiming it and grabbing it and bagging it and calling it and hauling it, and then they'll quote that verse, right? I can do all things through Christ who strip. Well, okay, guys, I'm five, five and a half, and I hold to that half, okay? <laughs> Now, I can put on an R. Kelly song and say, I believe I can fly, and I can put up a regulation basketball goal and sit here and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ and strengthens me and run and think that because I believe it, it's going to happen, and it will be a colossal embarrassment. It's not going to happen. The danger of taking a verse out of context. I always tell people, when you take a text out of context, you always get a con. This text, verse 13, is tied to verse 12. He says, I know how to live this way or that way. I can do all of that through Christ who strengthens me. That is the limitation of the passage. When you take it beyond that, you can make it say anything that doesn't fit reality. Am I making sense to you here? Now, with that in mind, I want to go back through those passages. I want to read it, but let's walk through from this passage the picture of contentment that's painted by Paul because he does a great job of showing us how he moved towards contentment. And that verse in 10 to verse 11, it says, basically, Paul rejoiced in the Lord when others came through for him, yet his state of mind was not conditioned upon their gift. We saw that in verses 10 to verses 11. He just said, hey, I'm glad you came through, but if you hadn't come through, I was okay. What I like about that is he, he, he gives us this idea that no matter what's going on, even if you tell me you're going to do something and you don't come through, my heart will still be okay because my soul is not resting on your words. My life is not based on expecting something from you. If it happens, great. If it doesn't, it's okay because my satisfaction doesn't rise and fall on what you say you will or will not do. That's a wonderful thing to learn from Paul. But secondly, Paul learned to live with what he had and let it be enough for him. Notice what he says in verse 12. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. He learned how to live with whatever he had. Now, that's a very important lesson because for many of us, we don't know how to live with what we have, and that's why we're easily manipulated because we always want more than what we have in the moment, and Satan always provides the opportunity for us to have more than what we have in the moment, but it always costs us to compromise God's character or compromise God's will, hence being needy or greedy. Paul said, I've learned how to live with what I have. But thirdly, as we see this, Paul learned to live without whatever he needed, anticipating the provision of God. Look at that verse 12. He says it right there. 
He says, I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any, every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and both of going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Verse 13, I can do all things through whom? Christ, who strengthened me. Paul is showing us the lessons of how to develop contentment. He, he rejoiced when people came through, but he wasn't consumed with if they would or would not. He, he understood how to live with whatever he had, and he let that be enough. He lived with whatever he had, knowing that this God that he said he served would, would never leave him nor forsake him. But there's one central thing I want you to see that helped Paul move towards contentment that's very important, and it's right back there in that verse 12 again. Look at the verse, because there's something he says that I want you to see here. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. How is it that you can go from bank to broke and be okay? Think about it. Paul is saying, hey, when I have a lot, I know how to live with a lot. When I have a little, I know how to live with a little. There is something to that, and it's very significant that you catch it in that passage. In order for you to be able to learn to live with a little and to learn to live with a lot, you have to learn to adjust your desires to fit the situation. Let that sink in for a moment. Adjusting your desires. Paul adjusted his desires to fit the situation. If he had a little, he adjusted his desires to live with a little. If he had a lot, he adjusted his desires to live with a lot. God was showing Paul how to live in such a way where his desires would be adjusted to the will of God in the moment. Many of you, because you are needy or greedy, you haven't learned a lesson to accept what God allows and let that be enough in the moment. Your desires are always outweighing the situation, and you're not accepting God's sovereignty in the situation. And since you're not accepting God's sovereignty in the situation, you're always frustrated or angry or worried or upset because you haven't allowed the sovereign way of God to be your way in that moment. And the moment we learn that, guess what happens with the winds of time? As God gives us a lot, we can rejoice. As God gives us a little, we can adjust because our worlds are not connected to the temporal things of life. That's an important lesson from Paul. And it's one that I'm having to learn a lot. Sometimes God will let us have a lot and we rejoice. Sometimes, again, I like to call it from bank to broke. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we've been broke in the last two or three years and had to say, well, okay, it was fun while it lasted, Lord, thank you. And watch God work and how we begin to trust not in our financial position, but the trust in the Lord who will never leave us nor forsake us. But see, we had to go through and grow through some things so that we would learn to adjust our desires to fit the situation. And that doesn't come by everything going well all the time. And Paul is showing us, I've learned how to live with a little, I've learned how to live with a lot. Paul adjusted his desires. So look at some of these lessons. Let's just go back for a moment. First of all, we're saying that Paul didn't depend on people to come through. He depended on God to either allow people to come through or not. He learned to live with what he had and let it be enough. He, he learned how, as he lived with what he had, to wait on the provision of God. He learned from this to adjust his desires to fit the situation. I don't know about you, but that is the hardest lesson from this passage for me as I studied and tried to say, Lord, show me from Scripture how one develops in contentment. And that is the way. That is the most important part of this passage. Because the more you adjust your desires to fit the situation, the less manipulated you can become by the flesh, the world, and the devil. You're no longer needy or greedy. So then no one can persuade you to do dumb stuff to get something you think you should have right now because if God didn't give it to you in the moment, you don't need it in the moment and you are adjusting your desires to fit the sovereign move of God in that situation. Now I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where I want more than what God wants me to have and I'm not willing to let go of what I want. Am I the only one that experiences that? And those are the times when I'm the most angry 
And those are the times I'm the most worried. And those are the times that God is trying to expose to me in that moment. Look at my servant Paul. The problem is not that you need more. The problem is you need to adjust to what I've done. I'm trying to teach you, son, and this is, I, I hear it from the scripture. I'm trying to teach you, son, not to put your hope in people and places and products and perspectives in this world. You said you trust me. I'm going to take something from you. I'm going to allow you to suffer so you can see how much you trust me. Let me put it another way. I want you to see from your own heart how much you love me more than the gifts I give you. And the only way God can really know how much you love him more than the gifts he gives you is to what? Sometimes take away some of those gifts. And as he takes those gifts away, your heart is on display. Do you trust him? Do you love him? Is he enough in the moment? I, I, I liken it to this, this idea. This guy was telling me a story one time, and he said, you know, um, I was stuck in the bathroom one time as a child, and the door was locked, the lights were off, and I was stuck, and I was crying out. And he says, and my father heard me, and he was able to climb up the ladder on the side of the house by the window that was where the bathroom was, and he was able to get in the bathroom, open the window, and unlock the door and get me out of the darkness. He says, but he sat down one day, and as he was thinking about it, he thought to himself, what if my father would have gotten up into the bathroom, opened the window, and sat down with me in the darkness? And he said, that would have been weird. And I would have been saying to myself, why, daddy, aren't you opening the door to get me out? And he said, you know, that's what God does with us. Sometimes he's not trying to deliver us out of something. He's trying to sit with us through something. But we're more concerned about getting out versus sitting with the Father within it. Contentment recognizes it's not about the gift I don't have or the gift that I've lost. Contentment is about I am sufficiently satisfied in the presence of God, whether I have it or I don't have it. Paul was learning that lesson, one of the most powerful lessons that we can gain from contentment. Does that make sense to you guys? Walk with me through this. Paul had fellowship. This is another lesson. We see this in verse 13. Paul had fellowship with God in his condition. Notice he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him. Back to verse 12. I can live with a little. I can live with a lot. I can adjust my desires to fit the situation. Why? Because it's not about the gifts I've lost or the gifts I'm seeking to gain, it's about the God who is present with me. Now, we can't pray for that. We can't study enough Bible for that. We have to go through life experiences in order to develop in that. That is the practice of our study. That is the application of our study where we learn in situations, Lord, here I am. Here is what I need. Here is where we are. But Lord, I want you more and I trust you. Let me adjust my desires in this moment to fit the situation. Let me live with what I have, trusting that you will give me what I need because you said you will never leave me nor forsake me. Lord, help me to stop being needy or greedy, always thinking I don't have enough or never having enough of what I already have. Lord, help me to adjust my desires to you as you are my king. Paul showed us this. Paul showed us that he could appreciate others, but yet not be consumed with what they did or didn't do. Didn't we see that in verse 14? Notice what he says there in verse 14. He says it, and I love this. He said, nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Appreciate what you've done. But if you hadn't done it, I was still going to be okay. In the African-American culture, there is a gospel singer called Ty Tribute. And Ty Tribute has this song that says, in this vernacular, we're going to be all right. 
And every now and again, when I'm feeling kind of low, I'll put that song on, and it's real fast. He'll say, we're going to be all right. Hey, hey. So I'm in my car, and people think I'm crazy, right? (laughs) But I'm saying to myself, you know what? In spite of everything going on around me, we're going to be all right. You know why? Because the God who loves me will never leave me or forsake me. And this is a time where I need to adjust my desires to fit the situation and accept that God has taken a gift or has not given a gift so that I could fall in love with the giver and not be consumed with what I don't have or what I think I should have in the moment. And the more that is happening in my life through these trials and tribulations over the last four or five years, I'm starting to understand sufficient satisfaction from the soul. This couple went in for counseling, and they were very disturbed and upset about their marriage. And as they were upset and disturbed, the counselor sat back and listened to both sides of the story. And he kept listening and said, "Uh uh-huh, 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 I see, I see. He said, you know, I've heard enough. He said, you know, here's the problem. Sir, you live by fantasy. And because you live by fantasy, it doesn't matter what your wife will do or not do. It is never going to be enough because you are always in this idea of what the marriage should be. And she will never do enough because you always have this picture of what should happen. And so even when she does it, your mind is thinking about more that could be done. He said, ma'am, you live in fear. So even when things are good, you're always caught up in what might happen. And so you can't even enjoy the moment because the fear is so gripping you, you're waiting for the bottom to fall out. He said, but one of the things I've noticed about you both, you claim to be Christians, but you're not living by faith. Now, many of you are like that married couple. You're either driven by this idea of fantasy, and so it doesn't matter what's going on, it's never enough because you got a picture of the way life needs to be, or you're living by fear, and you're always scared of what's going to happen, but you're not living by faith. See, unless we learn to live like Paul did, Paul didn't live by fear. He didn't live by fantasy. He didn't deal with people and circumstances as the core of his sufficient satisfaction or the core of his existence. He lived by God's promises and he practiced what God commanded. The more we live that way, we will find that we will stop being so discontent and find ourselves in a life of contentment. If we study the scripture, we'll discover through some passages like Philippians 4, as we were looking at, that a content person accepts their condition. that's, That's what we see. When you think about a content person, their perspective of life, they accept their condition. If you ever study Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, you'll discover that a content person accepts their contents. In other words, what they have is enough. If they get something more great, but they're okay with what they have. I was one day in the car, and my daughter, she was my youngest daughter at that time. She was, I think, 14 or 15. And I was grumbling and complaining about something. I don't even know what it was. And she, in her wise age, said, Daddy, if you could get what you want right now, what would you want that you believe you're not getting? I'm like, flesh and blood had not revealed that to you, child. I mean, I'm like, whoa. (laughs) Kind of deep there for early morning going to school here. And I sat back and I thought about it. I said, well, actually there's nothing right now that I really want. She said, so daddy, what are you really complaining about? I thought, man, I'd spank her for being smart, but this young woman just rebuked me and she was right you know I didn't shut up girl be quiet no (laughs) couldn't do that some of y'all know what I'm talking about but anyway couldn't do that because she was right on the money but the reality was she was right content people accept what they have and it's enough But even if you study 2 Corinthians 12, a content person can endure their circumstances. Why? Because the God who serves gives them enough. A content person is depending on Christ. A content person is pursuing Christ-likeness. A content 
person is not a complainer. That one hits me hard all the time. But ultimately, a content person has an attitude of consideration. Why? Sufficient satisfaction in the soul. Why? Because their satisfaction has been weaned off the world. Their satisfaction has been weaned off of fantasy and fear. Their satisfaction is in the presence of God. Do you know that Psalm 1611 says, In thy presence is fullness of joy, in thy right hand are pleasures forever? You know that John 14, 21 says that he who hath his commandments and keepeth them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me, I will disclose myself to him. The more we obey God, the more he makes himself known, the more he makes himself known, the more joy and satisfaction we have in our soul. But that can't happen until we're weaned off of thinking that our happiness and satisfaction is tied to people and places and things of this life. God is allowing us to learn contentment, how to adjust our desires to fit the situation. Here's a question for you. Do you want to be content? Or would you rather God just give you what you want, when you want, how you want it? I know that's a trick question. And I know it's Sunday, and on Sunday the answer is always Jesus. I could say, who won the Super Bowl? And you would say, Jesus. (laughs) I don't want the right answer this morning. I want the real answer. We all know the right answer, but we're not living by the right answer. The real answer is where we're living, and that's where God wants to make things right. You and I have to really ask, do we want to be like Paul and learn what it means to be content? I want to close out by giving you some practical things that I have been learning to work through, and it's helping me to develop in this contentment. And by the way, um, if you're trying to write down all this stuff, the notes will be coming. So rest, relax, chill. Put the pen down, you'll get the notes, amen, okay? So, and you'll have all these details, so you can go back and review and process or whatever you want to do with this. So chill, put the pens down, all right? But here's some practical things that I have been learning as I've been mentored by other men of God, as I've had my wife help and come alongside of me to really help me, as I've really been reaching out to friends like Josh and Michelle and others. These are the kind of things that I am learning to put to practice that is leading me towards this life of contentment. Let me share with you a few of them. The first thing I'm learning, and this is kind of a hard one, but I'm working on it. Enjoy the good and perfect gifts that God provides in your life through the means of people, circumstances, and tangible things of this creation. I'm learning how to just, when it's good, enjoy it. When God gives us a little more than we can have, I'm learning how to enjoy and share. And I'm like, honey, we can finally go do so-and-so and such-and-such. Let's go hang out. And then when we're broke three weeks later, didn't we have fun? <laughs> enjoy it when it's there, not being consumed with holding on to it and wondering what's going to happen. I'm learning how to do that. But secondly, here's another lesson that's been harder than the first. I'm learning how to grieve the disappointments in life that come through the means of sin, that come through suffering, unrealized expectations in relation to people, circumstances, and tangible things. I'm not pretending with people anymore. When I'm hurt, I'm hurt. Josh would call me, a pastor Josh would call me. He'd say, man, how you doing? Man, I'm not feeling good today. Today, I am disappointed. I am downcasted. Instead of that standard answer, great, God is good, it's wonderful. No, bro. I'm grieving right now. I am down, but God is good. But I'm just being honest about where I'm learning to enjoy when things are good and to grieve when I've been disappointed, to grieve when I've been sinned against, to grieve when there's suffering, to grieve these things in life and to say, Lord, it hurts. I'm learning how to do that. But thirdly, I'm learning to give thanks 
for the condition and circumstances that are happening because I know God is using it to bring about his glory and my good. And as things are going on in life and things have been taken from me or, or things that haven't happened for me, I'm saying, okay, I get it, God. But I'm also saying, Lord, thank you, because obviously this taking away is to give to me. See, when God is taking away, it's not so you can lose, it's so you can gain. Because if you think about the things he's taking away from you, it's to keep you from resting in the temporal things so you can learn to rest on the eternal. And he's trying to help you to learn a sense of contentment so that your satisfaction will stop being on people and places and circumstances and you learn to be content with God whether these things come through or not or whether people come through or not. Let me ask you a dumb question. How many of you know that people are flaky? Come on, tell the truth, shame the devil. Okay, now let me get personal. How many of you know you're flaky? So if you know people are flaky and you know you're flaky, why would you put your source of satisfaction and happiness on flaky people? Your emotions will be like this all the time. My emotions were like this all the time because too much of my hope was resting in the wrong place. God had to take people away and take things away, not because he was trying to hurt me, but to help me recognize you will never be sufficiently satisfied until you rest on me that's eternal, not the things that are temporal. And I'm learning to say, Lord, thank you. I don't like it, but I know you're doing something. I'm also learning to accept and endure what God allows in my life through the means of suffering, unrealized expectations, people, and circumstances, and tangible things of the creation. You know what that means? I'm accepting. I'm enduring. Okay, this is what's happening today. Okay. Okay, this is how we're going to roll today, Lord. Okay. Okay, Lord, give me the strength to endure. I don't like how it feels, but I'm going to keep doing what I'm supposed to do today, even though it's not working as I want. If this is the goal today, then this is what I will do today. And I'm learning every day to not be so wooden with my life, but to have some flexibility. I've got these plans. I've got these ideas. This is how the church is going to run today. This is what we're going to do with construction. This is what's going to happen in the marriage. This is going to happen with my children, et cetera, et cetera. And God says, ha, 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 none of that's happening today, bro. Okay, so how do I adjust in this moment to your will and your way and not be so wooden to believe that it's my way? I'm learning. Now, I'm not perfect at this stuff yet, but I'm learning. But, but here's something else I'm learning to do. I'm learning how to adjust my desires to fit the situation. There are things I look forward to when I get home. I, I, I'm going to give you an idea. I was... I'm a chocolate chip cookie lover, okay? And I remember, and I have about all my grandchildren, I have four grandchildren, they live with me, okay? All boys, and they like to eat like me, right? I'm fantasizing about how that chocolate chip cookie is just going to be great as it hits my mouth. And I couldn't wait to get home to eat it. And I get home, and my littlest one has eaten my chocolate chip cookie. Now, I'm not going to tell you what I was thinking in that moment, But I had to adjust my desires to fit the situation. It was not the plan to watch my baby grandchild, smiling no doubt, eating my chocolate chip cookie. That was my cookie. I've been waiting all day for that. Adjust my desires to fit the situation. I'm learning. And God keeps giving me lessons to learn. Here's another thing I'm learning to do. I'm no longer trying to demand people to satisfy me, but I'm trying to learn how to guide them to glorify God. See, much of my life was about people adjusting to my will, not adjusting to God's will. And I would preach that verse, Colossians 1, 28 and 29, oh, we admonish him and preach him and teach every man. But what I was doing was trying to change you to satisfy me and preaching God so you do what I want. And the reality was it was all about me. I'm seeking now to guide people to please God, not me. I'm not good at it, but it's getting better. And the more I'm putting these things to practice, I'm understanding Paul's thing of learning to have sufficient satisfaction in the soul. 
I'm learning now to, to take my roles and responsibilities and to focus more on what I'm supposed to do with people and less on what they're supposed to do with me. See, in reality, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, so I'm supposed to do what I'm told. In reality, I'm an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Any person that doesn't belong to Jesus, my role and my responsibility until he returns is to present the gospel of Jesus Christ, to demonstrate the character of Jesus Christ to unbelievers so that as God wills, not as I work, someone gets saved. I'm a builder for Jesus Christ. That means that anyone that's a saint, my job, no matter what's going on, is to make sure that every Christian I encounter, I'm able to invest in their lives to help them grow in their character, to grow in their faith. That doesn't matter what's going on around me. It doesn't matter what I'm getting or not getting. Those are my basic roles for existence right now. And the more I live that out, regardless of what I get or don't get, the more I'm functioning in God's will, the more my soul is becoming satisfied because he recreated me to be his disciple. I'm a new creature. He recreated me to be his ambassador. He recreated me to be a builder. And the more that becomes my soul existence for life, the less disappointed I am with the things in life. I'm not there yet, but I'm learning. I'm embracing the character of God in the moment. I'm learning how faithful he is. I'm, I'm learning how righteous he is. I'm, I'm learning Hebrews 11 is not just a quote, you know. It's a reality. I'm learning how to ask God, what is it about you today that I need to learn to embrace so that I begin to embrace that and pursue that so that you make that known to me more in a way regardless of what's lacking or not happening in my world. I'm learning. Overall, I'm trying to enjoy the moment, and if I can put it to you this way, this man asked me in a long way, and I just kind of broke it down to him. He said, my wife is this, and my children this, and he was just blah, 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 blah. That's how I heard it. He was going, all I heard was blah, 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 blah. Because all he was saying is, people aren't doing what I want the way I want, and I want you to give me a formula from the Bible to manipulate them so they can do what I want. That's really what he was asking. But here's how it sounded spiritually. You know, my family isn't doing this for the Lord. My family isn't doing this for Jesus. And yeah, okay, you're adding Jesus, but what you're really saying is, I'm not getting my way. What do I need to do to show them what God wants for them? That sounds real spiritual, doesn't it? Well, what he was really saying is, how can I get them through the Bible to get what I want for me? And what I had to tell him was, you need to learn to suffer well and stop living to get people to do what you want and start living as God wants. And let me see if I could put it to him another way. And here's what I told him another way. I said, you need to enjoy the good from the people in your life, endure the bad from people in your life, and start living for Jesus Christ. And stop living for people to make you happy. I say, if you can enjoy and endure and live as a disciple, live as an ambassador, and live as a builder, you will learn the secret that Paul learned of contentment. The story is told of this man who was envious of his good friend who had a bigger, better house than his. And in that bigger, better house, he was envious, and so he decided to sell his house so he could have the house like his friend. And so as he was looking through the ads for another house, he found this house and he kept reading. He said, you know what? That's the house for me. So he called his realtor and the realtor looked up and said, wait a minute, where did you find that? He said it was in section B and it was under this section in this paragraph. And she said, sir, that's your house. We don't need something more. We need more of something. You think you need something more, but you don't. You don't need something more than the presence of God. You need more of the presence of God in your life. So again, you don't need something more. You need more of something. And you keep thinking that your happiness is around the corner. Single people, I know you think once you get married, all your problems will be solved. All your needs will be met. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Stop believing it. <laughs> Marriage is good. It's wonderful. I encourage it. But don't live your life thinking marriage is your savior. 
If you can't be happy by yourself, you will be miserable with someone else. If you can't be satisfied right now, you will not be satisfied being married. Some people think if their husband would just change, their wife would just change, they would be so happy. Stop lying to yourself. The reality is you're living in fantasy or fear versus faith, and you haven't learned to adjust your desires to fit the situation. You haven't learned how to enjoy and endure. You haven't learned to live as a disciple, as an ambassador, and as a builder. And the moment you do, you'll discover that you have just what you need with what you have. You don't need something more. You need more of something. And that's something is Jesus Christ. I want to close by encouraging you in this. I'm on this journey. It's been a tough one, and I, I, I didn't quite understand why God would allow our church to go through some of the challenges that we've been going through, why, you know, in our marriage and the family, some of the things we've been going through. But what I realized as I kept studying this Philippians passage, I was not ever going to be satisfied. Even if God would have let me have everything I wanted the way I wanted, somehow I'd be thinking about the next thing. Somehow I'd be consumed with what may happen, and somehow it may not have been enough. And what I didn't realize is it was a vicious cycle to believe that some person, some place, some product, some practice, something other than my relationship with God was finally going to bring me to this utopia that I've been longing for. Some relationship, some job, some financial security was finally going to get me there, and that, my brothers and sisters, is a lie from the pit of hell. Real contentment is where you recognize that God will allow you to have and God will allow you not to have. God will help you to see that you need to love him more than you love his gifts and that your soul will never be truly satisfied until you practice being a disciple, an ambassador, and a builder, and you learn to enjoy the good, endure the bad, and live for Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. You've given us everything we need for life, for godliness. Lord, we ask your forgiveness because we think that being married will be the end all. We think that graduating from school will be the end all or the career will be the end all. We think our wives or our husbands changing, our children change. Lord, we have all these ideas of what we think will finally bring us satisfaction. And you keep helping us see and be disappointed on purpose so that we will stop thinking that these things will bring us happiness versus recognizing you recreated us for you. You created us for you and we fell from you and then you made an avenue for us to be connected back to you because you knew that it was your presence, your place, and we being your people that will only bring true satisfaction to our souls. May we learn how to adjust our desires to fit the situations. May we learn to embrace you and may you teach us how to enjoy and endure but be your disciples, to be your ambassadors, and be your builders. And all of those who believed in Jesus Christ said, amen. God bless you.